Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and this is your host for the next 30 minutes as we seek to take Christian truth into the arena of ideas, yours truly, Brian Chilton. Uh, we have a very special show today and a wonderful guest with us today. We're going to be welcoming Nick Peters with us as we discuss the engaged, uh, or engage, excuse me, the flawed views of Jesus' mythicism. And so we'll begin that after this brief commercial break. If you'd like to call in, our number is 323-784-9617. We'll begin that that discussion right after this commercial break. Southern Evangelical Seminary presents The Defense Never Rests, the National Conference on Christian Apologetics, coming to Charlotte, North Carolina, October 13th through 15th, 2016. Come be equipped to defend the faith. This three-day event features over 100 sessions from more than 50 speakers, including many of the world's top Christian thinkers, such as Lee Strobel, author of many books, including The Case for Christ, Jay Sekulow, chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice, SES co-founder Norman Geisler, and SES president Richard Lamb, veteran apologist Josh McDowell, Frank Turek, Jay Warner Wallace, SES professors, and many more. Join us for America's largest and longest-running apologetics conference. Thursday is a dedicated day for women only. Register now and save. It's time to get off the sidelines and get into the game. The defense never rests. To learn more, visit ses.edu. Southern Evangelical Seminary. On campus, online, on mission. All right, be sure to go and check out that uh, wonderful conference coming up again this October. God willing, I plan to be down there my, down there myself and look forward to some great, uh, great sessions down at SES in Charlotte, North Carolina. So uh, today we have with us a very special guest as we're going to discuss uh, the flawed views of Jesus' mythicism. Uh, Christianity has been met with several objectors in recent times, and of the many groups that seem to criticize Christian beliefs and values, none is perhaps more radical than this Jesus' mythicist movement. While this, uh, this movement holds little to no uh, authority in uh, scholarship or academia today, uh, many online uh, seem to approve uh, the, the, the idea that Jesus of Nazareth was simply a mythical figure invented by the early Christians. Uh, and many of these uh, individuals will, uh, who basically come from uh, online communities will say that uh, Jesus was an invention from 
some group, uh, some ancient myths like Horus and others. And so obviously, as we mentioned before, there's little no scholarly support for the Jesus mythicist movement. But it is very important for us as Christians to have a voice in this debate. And our guest today uh, does so. And he engages many individuals online uh, opposing the Jesus mythicist movement, especially one Ken Humphreys, as he's had some online debates with Ken Humphreys. Our guest today is Nick Peters. Nick Peters has uh, studied at SES, Southern Evangelical Seminary, and also from Johnson Bible College. Uh, Nick Peters runs the Deeper Waters online ministry that can be found at deeperwaters.ddns.net. There you can catch his blog, and also he has a, a Deeper Waters podcast, which is also available on iTunes. Uh, so, uh, man, the list could go on and on and on. We could say several different things about Nick, wonderful things about Nick. Uh, he is the son-in-law to Michael Lacona. Uh, he is uh, also, adding to his resume, has recently been a guest on William Lane Craig's Defenders class as he filled in for William Lane Craig, I believe it was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, last week. So we welcome with us today Mr. Nick Peters on the Bellator Christie podcast Thank you, Nick, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Oh, the pleasure is mine, Brian. Thank you for asking to have me come on. It's always an honor to get to speak on topics like this. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you would, as we always ask our guests uh, on, on the podcast, especially the first time on the podcast, uh, would you mind sharing with our listeners how you came to accept Christ as your Savior? Yeah, well, when I was growing up in church, I'd attend Sunday school every week. And I was either the only person in there, or as a young elementary schooler and such, I was the only boy in there. Now, later on, I probably would have said hallelujah to that. But at the time, (laughs) it wasn't anything I cared for. And across the street, there was another church, and some of my friends from school attended that. My parents said they were fine with me going there. And the first Sunday there, I heard explicitly the gospel teaching. But well, that sounds like a good deal to me. And that took care of that. So that's how that came about. Well, um, we were talking about, I gave just a brief description of the Jesus Mythicist movement, and you've engaged many of the individuals uh, from this Jesus Mythicist movement. How would you describe this Jesus Mythicist movement to our listeners, and who were some of the biggest advocates uh, in this in this latest push uh, for Jesus Mythicism? You know, you want to try and be as charitable as you can when talking about opposing views and such, but in this case, it is really, really hard. I mean, I meet Christians who think the Illuminati is behind everything and see all these conspiracy theories and such. And we have cases of 9-11 truthers out there and people like that. And I describe Jesus mythicism as a conspiracy theory for atheists. And that's largely what it is. That, and when we get to the last question, I think it is, that you sent me, we're show how I think that can be exploited very well for arguments for historicism. Now, the big names in the movement, in scholarship, there are only two, really, that are big, big names at this point. 
Richard Carrier is a main one who is considered to be the be-all and end-all of New Testament scholarship by Internet Atheists. Everyone else, they pretty much say, who? A lot of them have no idea who he is. He hasn't produced much peer-reviewed work or anything like that. He's just largely known on the Internet. And then Robert Price is out there as well. Now, as far as I know, these people don't teach at accredited universities either. And like you said, if you go to the academy, this isn't a debate. No one is wondering about this. Now, outside the academy, you'll find several, several smaller names, people like Dan Barker, for instance, or Slate Akaya Eds, who's also known as Dorothy Murdoch, and Ken Humphreys, who I did debate on the Mind Renewed podcast, hosted by Julian Charles. But aside from those kinds of names and such, you don't find many people advocating this, and for good reason. Well, absolutely, and it, it made me think, you know, as you were listening to names, as you mentioned, you know, Bart Ehrman, I, I remember seeing a video where, where he was even speaking at an atheist conference and said, listen, if you if you think that Jesus was simply a myth, you're, you're going to look really foolish. And so I think that yep. says a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how, some people are looking and say, well, the field is dominated by Christian scholars. Well, not really. I mean, you could even probably say it's probably like half and half down the line. And I read non-Christian New Testament scholars regularly. Jesus' mythicism, for the most part, is lucky to get a footnote. I think the only reasons that people like uh, Maurice Casey and Bart Ehrman have written about it is they're just exasperated with the whole thing. Wow. So, I mean, that <laughs> that already shows the uh, the power behind, you know, the historicity of, of Jesus of Nazareth already, you know, just by the fact that, mm-hmm. as you say, they, they don't even get a footnote, hardly, uh, this, this movement. Well, how, how did the Jesus mythicist movement begin? Well, there have been throughout history some people who have tried to argue that Jesus never existed. Bruno Bauer was probably one of the first ones who really majorly put forward a hypothesis. Every time in history it's been put forward, it's been destroyed pretty quickly, and this even by the non-Christian scholars. What's really changed things, though, is the Internet. The Internet where anyone can go out there and say, Hey, I'm an authority because I have an opinion and I put it on a website. Well, no, you're not. And that's part of the problem that we don't know how to analyze information more. You put up a YouTube video, you put up a podcast, you put up a blog post, and people say, well, it must be true. Now, of course, when I say that, I realize I've got all three of those things. So what I would say to someone who said to me, well, does that mean that your stuff isn't true then? Said, well, maybe it isn't. If you want to find out if what I think is true, go check and evaluate everything I've said. Go through and read it and consult the leading scholars and see what you think in response. But today we have a a mindset of people that will pretty much just believe anything, provided it already goes with what they already believe in. They just don't evaluate the claims at all. And largely one of the big things that got this movement started was a movie called Zeitgeist, which had in it also the idea that 9-11 was an inside job and some theory about the banks and such at the end, but 
it's a two-hour movie, and the first third of it was devoted to Jesus never even existing, and it's the kind of movie that when you get done, you want to ask, who do I sue to get those last two hours of my life back? You know, I, I've never, I'll, I'll, I'll admittedly say I've never seen Zeitgeist, but I have heard that uh, it, it was a key player in, in the popular, at least in the popularity of this movement, you know, per se, that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that it seemed yeah. to be at least on the online communities. When, when you engage Jesus' mythicists, uh, do you use the Bible to demonstrate the historical validity of Jesus of Nazareth? And if you do, how do you use these particular texts? Well, personally, I prefer to start with extra biblical texts, but you do need to use the Bible. Um, and the problem is, unfortunately, many Christians and many atheists and skeptics take the same approach to the Bible in many ways. That approach is it's an all-or-nothing game. Either everything is true in there or everything is false and should be viewed with immediate suspicion. Christians and atheists play it the exact same way too many times. The only difference is their loyalty. When we approach the Bible, I say, okay, let's be fair. Let's try to approach the Bible like any other historical text of the time. Don't treat it with a different standard. Treat it with the same standard. Now, some Christians in the audience I think, well, I, I don't know if it's a wise idea to do that, which I'd say, why? Are you scared Christianity won't pass the test? I can do it because I don't have any fear. I think if you do a historical investigation and treat it fairly, you'll find that the claims of the Bible do stand up. But this one, we got a base minimum claim. There was a historical figure called Jesus. Now, if you want to say, okay, Jesus was real, but he wasn't the Messiah, or he died, or he certainly didn't think he was God, or he wasn't God, or he didn't rise from the dead, or something like that. Okay, that's a different claim. Now, that's a claim that's susceptible in academia and such, and that's a claim we should be out there trying to refute. But it's not the nonsense claim that mythicism is. I mean, there are so many people out there who are convinced in the scholarly world that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but they would not want to play the card of mythicism because it's just not a serious hypothesis. One thing I have to think about is, you know, why would individuals create something and then die the most exquisite deaths, you know, for this lie that they that they that they uh, apparently, or according to Jesus, mythicists made up. I mean, to me, that makes no sense. Well, something I'd uh, caution when you use that argument, but Sean McDowell has come out with his book on the deaths of the apostles, and I hesitate. When people say that all the apostles, except for maybe John, went and died for convictions, because frankly, we don't have that kind of evidence for all of them. But what I will say is that Christianity grew up in an honor-shame context, and one of the best books you can read on that is a book like uh, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes by Brandon O'Brien and Randolph Richards. And in this context, the Christian belief was utterly shameful. And shame was something you wanted to avoid entirely. People cared about honor and shame back then more than we care about paying our bills today. It was all about your reputation and such, but that's that's one never shows sometimes. But the thing is, if you were going out and you were saying, how am I going to make a religion that will attract people to it and such, 
Christianity is a te- textbook example of what you would not make. Right. <laughs> and that's an interesting perspective. I've never thought about that before. You mentioned that about mm-hmm. the honor and shame type of culture. I know at uh, Liberty I studied some uh, some of the cultures in uh, in the East, uh, you know, Middle East, you know, in the, in the Far East and all, and, and many of those mm-hmm. cultures share the honor, shame type of uh, format. That, that we as Westerners may not understand, but and that's a great point that to bring up dishonor into to one's family, you know, or, or upon oneself was seen as a, a as a very serious thing in in that in yeah, that culture even today. There's a book that's going to be coming out next month. I've already read an advanced copy of it and interviewed the author of it on my show, and that's Larry Hurtado's book, Destroyer of the Gods. And he's written about how Christianity was really unique from the other religions of the time. It's very eye-opening. I mean, I I let, read honor shame stuff a whole lot, and I still have a thought, boy, there are some good stuff in here I hadn't even considered before. Oh, wow. So I definitely have to check that book out, absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. would you... We, and I think you may have already answered this this question. Is the Jesus Mythicist movement primarily an Internet sensation, or does the the movement hold any scholarly backing? I know you mentioned uh, Carrier and Price. Uh, so, would you just basically say that this is kind of an Internet sensation? Yeah, I mean, Carrier and Price are the only ones in the field. So, I mean, you could have people like, say, Jerry Coyne, who's an evolutionary biologist, or Evan Fair, who's a philosopher who say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a mythicist, but they're not scholars in that field, so it, it's just as valid as asking what's my opinion on evolutionary theory, for instance. I, I could have one, but I'm not a scientist in the field, so what difference does it make what my opinion is? Gotcha, gotcha. Well, what are some tips that you could provide for, for our listeners Suppose they, you know, suppose maybe there's someone listening out there. Maybe they've encountered a Jesus mythicist online, or maybe they've encountered a Jesus mythicist maybe as a member of their family or one of their friends or, or coworkers or so on. Uh, what are some tips that you could provide our listeners to be able to engage the Jesus mythicist? And what are some tools that they will need in their apologetic? You know, the sad thing is that. Mythicist arguments can often be problematic for a lot of people, not because they're so good, but because they're so obscure and eccentric. They hang on a thousand different presuppositions that no one in the field really takes seriously. It becomes a sort of shotgun approach. I mean, when Richard Carrier debated Craig Evans, he comes out with, well, Luke used Josephus, and Mark is based on the Homeric epic, and X, Y, Z, and all of these over and over. And that's that's just a shotgun approach. It really overloads a lot of people. I would tell them they need to study up as much as they can. If they're going to engage this, it needs to be something serious and try and study, for instance, other ancient religions, such as Mithraism or Horus and Osiris or Dionysus and such. Because the pagan copycat thesis is another one that's often used again. That one isn't treated seriously in academia, but it's out there, and a lot of it rests on misconceptions. I mean, take Mithras, for instance. We are told that Mithras was born of a virgin. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, rocks would be virgins by definition. And <laughs> that Mithras died. No, he, he never died. We don't even have any scriptures of Mithras right now. And if you look at all these other religions and such, it doesn't work. I mean, if people think Horus and Osiris and such are parallels with Jesus' story, and this is my challenge to them, find one living professional Egyptologist today, I mean, someone with a degree in the field, and show him the story of Jesus and the story of, and ask him, does that sound like the story of Horus or, or Osiris? Ask him, you know, is it maybe getting close or anything? Try and find them. Good luck with that. I mean, some of the resources you can find are, you know, Bartram and did write his book, Did Jesus Exist? It's pretty good. My friend Albert McElhenney has written several, several e-books in great detail refuting mythicism. That's some of the best material you can get. J.P. Holding of Tectonics.org. He's written books like Shattering the Christ Myth. Again, some of the best stuff that you can get. And you're really not going to find the lost scholars engaging with this as much because, frankly, they don't think it's worth their time. That's how little attention is paid to this movement. So you have to really rely on a lot of us in the field who are relying on scholars. Oh, Stephen Bedard is another good one. My friend Stephen Bedard, I hope reason. And by the way, we both have something in common that we're on the autism spectrum, which I pretty need as well. Well, absolutely. You know, and this is kind of this is kind of going a little off off the record here, a little off or, off off the questions we had planned. How do you how do you seek to engage? Because you do a lot of engagement of individuals on online. Uh, uh-huh. What are some tips you can? What are some do's and don'ts to engaging people in like perhaps even on social media and whatnot? Okay, I keep a file with me. It's an apologetics database where I have a lot of quotes and such that I can use, and I can pull up at any time. Those are very helpful to have nearby. And I also think it's great that I've got the advantage. I've got a podcast or anything. I'm going to say, yeah, I interviewed someone on this one. But I also say, choose your batters wisely. Frankly, a lot of times, it's not worth it. I mean, yeah. if you choose to batter every single person you meet on the Internet who's wrong, you're going to waste a lot of your time. And I have not any more better usages of my time. I can be studying such. I can be spending time with my lovely wife, things of that sort. There are other things to be done. Choose your batters wisely and make sure you know exactly what you're arguing for and what you're arguing against. When I'm out there, I'm arguing usually for the resurrection. I'm not arguing for inerrancy. I'm not arguing for infallibility. I'm going for the bare text, just saying, I just want to show you that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you come to believe in inerrancy and other things later, great. But I would rather have you have the wrong position on the Bible and the right position on Jesus in some other way. 
Right. Well, you know, and that's a good point because I've noticed that so many times if you engage someone, and especially if 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 there's a group of people, <laughs> there's like two or three individuals trying to trying to ask questions, it's easy to get distracted on other topics instead of the primary mm-hmm. topic at hand. So very, very good advice. Yeah. And amnesty is a big one. I mean, one thing I I tell people is uh, that don't get caught up in that debate with non-believers because usually what they'll do is they'll provide you a list of 101 Bible contradictions. You could go out there and answer every single one of them, and all they'll do is produce another list of 101 Bible contradictions for you. Go to the main issue, resurrection. Good point. Good point. Mm-hmm. I mean, otherwise, you, your conversation gets so distracted. You know, I mean, that makes sense. That you, your conversation gets so distracted that it's that it's it's easy to lose the main focus, the main point. And like you said, especially with unbelievers, excellent advice. Excellent advice. Mm-hmm. You, think you operate an online ministry, and I need to make a correction. I posted on here that uh, was deeperwaters.wordpress.com. Actually, it's deeperwaters.ddns.net. So for our listeners, if you mm-hmm. see that on the uh, on the on the listing of the of the, of the uh, podcast, just make that correction. Deeperwaters.ddns.net. Tell us a little bit about your online ministry and how people can donate. Yeah, my ministry I started back in seven after reading Hugh Hewitt's book blog, where he said every Christian out there should have a blog, and my wife even has a blog as well. And her blog, by the way, is written, written in red. She meant to put I-N red, but she actually typed I-M red. And that's at blogspot.com. She's got some good stuff there. She's not a far just like I am, but she's got some good motivational stuff. But, but anyway, my ministry started there in 2007 with me regularly blogging. Now I blog pretty much five days a week, Monday through Friday. And then I do a podcast every Saturday. I've been doing a podcast for about three years now. And I have got a terrible number of guests who have come on the show now. People would say, yeah, Mike's like, oh, no, okay, he's your father and all. He's going to come on. Okay, Gary Habermas has been on. Craig Keener has been on. Craig Evans has been on. Richard Bauckham has been on. Larry Hurtado has been on. Daniel Wallace has been on. Craig Lombard. I could go on. If you look at my list and you find no one you're interested in in the apologetics world, you're not paying much attention to the apologetics world. But my my ministry has a number of focuses. Like I said, the resurrection is a big one. We're also very interested in discipleship, not conversions, disciples. That's a big deal to me. Um, I also tend to be very, very marriage-minded. I'm interested in helping people have good marriages and build them up. I'm not sure how, if your listeners know us or not, but I've said that I have Asperger's, where so does my wife. In fact, that's one way we get to know each other. We both have Asperger's, so that gives us a unique marriage. In fact, when I spoke at Bill Craig's class on the 21st, my topic was, is the disabled my neighbor, which is pretty much my testimony of what it's like being on the spectrum, followed by how the church can respond to people with mental illness better. And then that last part I mentioned is another aspect of what we do. 
reaching out to the disabled, showing the church that the disabled community needs to be acknowledged and to be aware. And naturally, as you can imagine, that's an emphasis on the autism Asperger's community because that's where we are and we know them best. But I'd say this includes everyone. Now, if people want to donate, what they need to do is there's a link on the site that says help support the work of Beeple Barters Christian Ministries. And they go there and click that link. It takes them to the Ministry of the Risen Jesus, my in-laws. You make your donation, and then you get in touch with Mike and Debbie or me or Allie and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Beeple Barters. We will get that donation. It will be tax deductible. And if someone can be a monthly donor, that's excellent. That's what we depend on. I also have some books on Amazon, some I've co-written, like Defining Inerrancy, or God and Natural Disasters, Debate with an Atheist, or Groundless, looking at Dan Barker. And one I've written exclusively, that's a, a Creed for the Ages, the Apostles' Creed, today's Christian, which covers everything, which at this point I think I need to state I do affirm the virgin birth. I think you know what that's about. <laughs> but, and, uh, well, you know, I, I admit, that. that's one question I wanted to ask you about because I've seen that on several posts on the, 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 uh, on the Christian Apologetics Alliance and many others. Where, where, did, that, where did that originate? Oh, by the way, I affirm the virgin birth as well. So <laughs> where did that originate? Yeah, this is a, a fun thing that we do because my friend Michael Shenego and I were on the Unbelievable Facebook page once. And this is a problem many Memphisists have and such. They don't know how to read the New Testament, how history works. I think that Paul should explicitly mention all the historical details. I mean, Paul was really functioning what's called a high-context society, where background knowledge is readily assumed, and you don't explain that. You just fill in all the missing gaps and such. And someone said, well, geez, do you think if Paul believed in the virgin birth, which I do affirm, he would have mentioned it. And he said, no, this would be in the background knowledge. And we said, heck, even today, that kind of rule still holds me. Our pastors believe in the virgin birth, which I do affirm. And uh, they have many Sundays that they go on and give a sermon, and they never once mention the virgin birth. And so it saw that every single post we made, we started saying, well, by the way, I affirm the virgin birth. And it kept going on there. And today, it's a big joke thing, too, which I consider a kind of a slap in the face of a mythicist movement. Yeah, this is where your ridiculous historical standards take us. The mystery is has been solved. Now we know the origins of the statement, I mm -hmm. affirm the virgin birth. I've been wondering that for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That's There's wonderful. a blog post on my thought card, I affirm the virgin birth. It tells the whole story. <laughs> well, Nick, what uh, word anyway, of encouragement would you like? Anyway, those are all the ways that people can donate to the ministry, and I would really appreciate if they do. Absolutely. And we want to again encourage our listeners to go to uh, check out the resources at deeperwaters.ddns.net. And, Nick, I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember this or not, but encourage me uh, with this podcast, uh, you know, because I noticed that, man, you did have an all-star selection of uh, guests on your program. And I asked you, I said, you know, how did you get in contact? And you said the words, you said, well, ask them. The worst they can say is no. And so I've, I've kept that in mind and used that 
for the podcast, mm-hmm. especially here in recent months. So I thought that was great advice. What word of encouragement yeah, would you like to leave with the listeners? Well, honestly, that kind of statement to Sarah applies. The worst thing people can say is no, but you're fine. Usually authors love to promote their books that come out. What word of encouragement would I give? I think it's just the word of advice. Study. Please be studying. Please be learning. Please be reading. If you want to be an informed debater, read both sides on the issue as much as you can. Try to find the best scholarly books that you can. And I'd also say this as a caution. When you're done studying, take some time and relax and enjoy yourself. There are so many in the apologetics community that sadly get married to their ministry as well. But we're not machines. We have to do more. Take some time. Enjoy your life in other ways. Realize you are not the savior of the world. Jesus is. You don't have to answer every argument out there. Take heart because this this kind of stuff is pretty easy to deal with. One one technique I'd also use in dealing with this, and I want people to understand when I say this, because it could be taken the wrong way, I, I am not a young earth creationist, but I am married to one. I don't object to young earth creationists. I, mean, I disagree with you, but you know, as long as you're not dogmatic, you're not saying, well, you're hell-bound or you're a compromise or something like that, I don't really have a problem with you. But what I would say is if you're talking with a mythicist, they're quite likely an atheist. And their view is a position like, say, young earth creationism is nonsense. Okay, so what I do is I run with that. Mike and my brother-in-law and I, Michael Kona, we recently went to a Braves game together. And on the way there, he talked about a Richard Carrier tweeting him on Twitter about how he found seven people who were coming out and saying they were mythicists and saying, this is how a movement gets started and such. After a while, I jumped in there and I started thinking, you know, there are more people in the field who will argue against evolution than there are, you know, would be people who would embrace, who would argue against a Jesus. Jesus' existence. And this started back and forth, and he kept saying, well, the thing is, well, you know, if we had X, Y, Z here, and I said, you know what? A younger creationist from their perspective would say the exact same thing about, say, evolution, for instance. Where if the evidence for Jesus was anywhere comparable to evolution, you, you might have a point. And I said, a younger creationist would say the exact same thing in reverse. And before too long, he stopped responding. And I think that's the point. I think with mythicism, you really have to make it look ridiculous, which isn't too difficult a challenge because, frankly, it already is. You just have to show it, I should say. You need to get out there and show this is conspiracy theory thinking. But for the final encouragement, the answer to say, go out there and just study. And I think the more you do it, you'll realize not only did Jesus exist, but he's the risen Lord, and he overcame death and everything else. And that really makes a difference when you apply it to your life. Now, of course, I do it imperfectly, 
just like everyone else. But I'm a work in progress. And if anyone wants to talk about these kinds of issues, I'd be glad to talk with them about it. it, This is such an important topic about such an issue that it's a shame I even have to come on and talk about this topic, but unfortunately I do. And I also consider it good news, though, because I tell people Richard Carrier is one of the greatest gifts God's given the church lately. Because right now, a lot of atheists on the internet and such are flocking to his every word. That might seem bad for now, but 20 or 30 years, when these are the people that are leading society in their their own position, we Christians who have been studying in the meanwhile and learning, we will be able to, as it were, corner the market when the time comes. Because our arguments will stand the test of time, but Memphis' arguments will still be a joke. Amen. Amen. Well, Nick, uh, we're just about out of time. Thank you so, so much for coming on. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And by the way, I too also affirm the virgin birth as well. So <laughs> thank you so much for being with us. I want to remind our listeners, go by and check out deeperwaters.ddns.net. Uh, be sure to check out the blogs there, also the uh, podcast, which is also available there as well. So once again, that's deeperwaters.ddns. Well, for Nick Peters, this has been Brian Chilton saying God bless and remember the truth of the risen Christ will set you free. We'll see you back here next week on the Bellator Christie Podcast. <laughs>